The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today I'm really excited about our show. Uh, We get to talk about one of my favorite shows on right now, which is The Good Place. I think it's the most brilliant show. The writing, everything is so fantastic. It has streaking lava men and two-headed bears and Janet. (laughs) The show is um, absolutely amazing. Just a quick summary. Also, there will be lots and lots of spoilers on this episode. So if you are not caught up, if that's right, spoilers. So if you are not caught up and if you do not want to go to the bad place, you might want to catch up first. So, uh, the show is about um, this character whose name is Eleanor Shellstrup. She is played by Kristen Bell, who I absolutely adore from Veronica Mars and Frozen and so many other things. When Eleanor dies, she goes to The Good Place. The Good Place is uh, the show's version of heaven. There she meets Michael, played by Ted Danson from Cheers, who is also an amazing actor. You... Eleanor Shellstrop, are dead. Cool. You're okay, Eleanor. You're in the good place. So Ted Danson is an architect of the good place and introduces her to her soulmate, Chidi Aragonye. Now, we find out in the first episode that Eleanor is actually not supposed to be there. You'll stand by my side no matter what, right? Of course I will. I wasn't a lawyer. There's been a big mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Wait, what? Are you sure this isn't you? They got my name right, but nothing else. Somebody royally forked up. Why can't I say fork? If you're trying to curse, you can't hear. That's bullshit. Eleanor is actually a really selfish and really horrible person and has spent her life hurting other people, trying to keep them at a distance. Do you have a second to talk about the environment? Do you have a second to eat my farts? Now, at the end of the first season, we find out that the good place is actually dun 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 the bad place. Holy motherforking shirtballs. And we find out that Michael, whom we thought to be a lovable architect angel, is actually a conniving and evil demon. It took me a while to figure it out. But just now, as we were all fighting and yelling at each other and each one of us demanding we should go to the bad place, I thought to myself, man, this is torture. And then it hit me. They're never going to call a train to take us to the bad place. They can't. Because we're already here. This is the bad place. 
<laughs> oh, man. I can't believe you figured it out. <laughs> oh, God. You, you ruined everything, you know that? Everything changes when we go into season two, as we learn that our beloved characters are actually starting to become good. And even though they're, they are meant to be tortured by demons in what they believe to be the good place, the characters, including Eleanor and Chidi, as well as their friends, Tahani and Jason, are becoming better people throughout the episodes. And over time, Michael, the demon, actually starts caring for them and becomes personally invested in making sure that they go to the good place. Bravo, that was a really good summary. <laughs> Very thorough. So this show is amazing to me and to a lot of people that I've talked to as well. What do you think it is about this show that is so psychologically engaging? I think other than the comedy and brilliant acting and the plot twists, the show does a really good job of making us care for each character. The characters are very well developed. We learn about Eleanor, who is on the surface extremely selfish and uncaring, but the more we learn, the more we understand that she uses her cruelty in a way, her, her meanness, to keep people at a distance because she's terrified of getting hurt. She tends to sabotage her relationship so that she doesn't have to experience vulnerability. She tends to hurt people before they, they hurt her. We learned that she had a pretty neglecting parents who struggled with substance abuse and therefore it is not surprising that Eleanor struggles with closeness and connection. I think every single character that we see has a really deep arc. Tahani, for example, Tahani Aljamil, is someone who, again, on the surface seems to be really self-absorbed and fake. That being said, the more we learn about her, the more we learn about how much her family tortured her, constantly comparing her to her sister. And so, in all these characters, we see redemption. We, we start to root for them. We want them to succeed. And I think that what the show does really well is making all of these characters human and relatable and someone that we identify with because we've all made mistakes and maybe we've all done things that weren't very kind as a result of protecting ourselves from being hurt but what the show does really well is demonstrating the consequences of these choices as well as the fact that redemption is always possible. I think in addition to that, the show does a really good job of providing excellent educational quality in that it teaches viewers moral ethics and psychology without being preachy. I think it does it in a really helpful way by us observing the other characters learn and therefore we as viewers learn alongside with them. One of the episodes appears to uh, depict burnout. Um, can you please talk about burnout and how the show portrays it? Sure. So Eleanor's um, supposed soulmate, Chidi, was an ethics professor when he was alive. He struggles with self-care and he struggles with making decisions. So when he takes on Eleanor as a student, he sacrifices all of his time trying to make sure that she has the learning um, environment that she needs. Unfortunately for Chidi, he has a really hard time setting boundaries. So because Eleanor is so eager to learn and because she's so behind, she is constantly asking him for help. 
and Chidi doesn't get a chance to do any of his own self-care rituals. He doesn't get a chance to read. He doesn't get a chance to spend any time in, in the park or on the lake. So finally, when he's had enough, he blows up on her and he tells her that uh, teaching her is a full-time job. And at first, Eleanor doesn't understand why Chidi is angry with her. Oh, you spend all your time teaching a charming, awesome lady. How sad for you. Face it, dude. I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. Because guess what, Chidi? you basic. And I think this is a pattern that we see in a lot of relationships. This is what we see in a lot of caretaking situations where people take on more than they can handle without incorporating self-care. At the end of the episode, Eleanor is actually able to arrange for Chidi to have a day on a lake with French poetry, which I think was really helpful for them both. Uh, it was helpful for Chidi to have a day of self-care, but it was also helpful for Eleanor to learn how to provide compassion for someone else. So I think this episode is realistic in that we can easily burn out if all we do is help other people without taking any time for ourselves and that taking time for ourselves is not only not selfish but is often the most compassionate thing we could do because if we're able to practice self-care that gives us more energy and more resilience to help others there's a, a fantastic episode where michael has um an existential crisis ¿Qué pasa, muchachos? Hey there, bud. You okay? Okay. I'm a new man. Oh, Eleanor. Thank you so much for the advice about shoving my feelings down deep. I feel so much better. It's like I'm surfing on this wave of positivity. Man, repressing your feelings is great. I was feeling stress all the time, and now it's just so easy. It's very interesting to see a demon that's been around for, you know, eons and eons since the beginning of time or whatever um, to finally realize, hey... You know, I'm a mortal person as well. And then he gets, you know, really sad and has his little existential crisis. Maybe, can you talk about that for just a second? Sure. And I think most humans experience this terror that they're going to die. And at one point or another, they go through grief and, and depression and overwhelm, while at other times they try to ignore it or forget about it. I kind of feel like maybe we should wind down, huh, bud? No, no, can't do that. Can't stop moving. Can't stop moving. I stop moving, I'll start thinking. If I start thinking, I'll start thinking about things I don't want to think about, like death. Oops. I'm thinking about it now. Um, yep, thinking about death again. And what we know through research is that people are less likely to be afraid of death if they have lived their life in a meaningful way. And that means through connecting with what they care about, through connecting with their core values as opposed to materialistic things. Now, some people don't understand that message right away. And that's where we see people who are maybe having a, a midlife crisis, as we call it, right? When they get an expensive car or change their, um, their appearance very suddenly. And occasionally that is due to this fear of not finding meaning or of death. Whereas with Michael, we see that he when he goes through his existential crisis or his mid 
demon life crisis. Um, he he does the same thing. He he gets a car, a new car, and he starts acting out. And then I think when he really gets it, when he's able to connect with what's important to him, with his feelings, with his core values, he realizes his mission, and that is to save his new friends. And it is this new connection, this newfound love for humans, for these four particular humans, that helps him find himself and become the demon he wants to be. <laughs> I mean, how amazing is that, that, you know, this demon that has been torturing people forever and finds love and friendship with these band of misfits. Such a great show. I don't know if what I'm going to say is going to hurt or help, but screw it. Do you know what's really happening right now? You're learning what it's like to be human. All humans are aware of death. So we're all a little bit sad. All the time. That's just the deal. Sounds like a crappy deal. Well, yeah, it is. But we don't get offered any other ones. And if you try and ignore your sadness, it just ends up leaking out of you anyway. I've been there. And everybody's been there. So don't fight it. And in the words of a very wise Bed Bath & Beyond employee I once knew, go ahead and cry all you want. But you're going to have to pay for that toilet plunger. Over the course of the show, we see this band of misfits. They grow and they change. And this includes Michael. What does this suggest about human behavior? Well, I think that human and possibly demon behavior is changeable. You know, I think that we don't always get a full impression of somebody. We might think that somebody is a terrible person because of something not very kind that they've done or we might think someone is a good person because of some of the great things that we've uh, we've witnessed them do however humans are complicated we are not perfect we do some things that are not very kind and we we might also surprise ourselves and other people with our own kindness and courage and goodness and I think that what the show teaches us is not only that humans are complicated and they're not all bad or all good, but it also teaches us that humans are adaptable to change. And if we're in an environment that promotes good behavior, if we're able to receive support for our inner goodness, then most of us are able to be good no matter how bad we have been in the past no matter our history and i think that it speaks a lot to this idea of redemption which i am a strong proponent for why do you think michael changed to become good and the other demons didn't i think michael developed a connection with humans whereas other demons did not we don't we we don't really see a connection between demons they seem to pull jokes on each other and um, they seem to compete with one another their relationship seems to be highly competitive and only professional um, however it in Michael's case he actually developed a connection and care for the humans unlike anything he's ever experienced before and I think that what we're seeing here is that love is the strongest antidote that love is the biggest healing power and probably the biggest mechanism for change you mentioned that the demons have a very distant relationship with one another and that seems to be the role that they're playing do you think that the roles that we are assigned to play have an effect on our behavior 
Absolutely. There's actually a famous study that was conducted at Stanford University uh, back in the 70s. This is the Stanford Prison Study that demonstrated exactly what you're asking. So in Stanford uh, Prison Study, Dr. Philip Zimbardo assigned um, students to either play roles of the prison guards or prisoners. The prison guards were instructed to keep the prisoners in check. And it was really interesting. The social experiment revolutionized our understanding of social psychology because we saw that after just a few days, the students that were supposed to play the role of the prison guards became extremely aggressive. They became sadistic and cruel toward the students that were playing the roles of inmates. The students that played the roles of inmates were actually um, staying in the facility 24-7, continuing to play the role of inmates the entire time. The study was supposed to last for two weeks. However, it only lasted 10, um, 10 days because the students that played the role of inmates became extremely distressed and some of them were struggling so much that the study had to be terminated. And what we learned from this study is that when people are assigned certain roles to play, whether it be inmates or prison guards in this example, they start acting accordingly. And um, I mentioned that the inmates were remaining in the facility 24-7. But interestingly, the students who played the role of the guards got to go home at the end of the shift. They got to take away, they got to get away from the study and take a break. But nevertheless, the next day when they showed up for their shift, they again embraced their role of the guard and again treated the other inmates in a cruel and inhumane way. Now, I think what it teaches us about human behavior is that when we are expected to be cruel, it is possible that we're going to embrace that role and act in a way that is more sadistic than we otherwise would be. And I think that in the show, in The Good Place, what we're seeing is that some people might be the product of their environment. So um, Eleanor, for example, when she was surrounded by people who were mean to her and who were mean to others, she was acting accordingly. And in fact, she was the meanest one of the bunch. But what Michael demonstrated um, was that when she was surrounded by people who were caring, who, who cared about the environment and who... Um, provided her with support she started to change too now having one person who was supportive wasn't enough um in the current season when eleanor gets a second chance to prove herself and participates in what i believe to be a simulation and starts um acting to support the environment and becomes a more caring person her efforts fall short after a while because she doesn't have enough social support and she doesn't have enough structure in her life to keep her going however when she has that structure like in the fake good place for example she's able to maintain her good behavior so i think what we're seeing is that the roles that we play can influence our behavior as well as the presence of social support 
encouragement, and compassion that we are receiving from others and are able to then provide to others as well. All of these factors will make a difference in how we act and also how we feel. I couldn't agree more. Um, I took a lot from what you just said. And one idea in particular that really sticks out in my mind is the idea that we're all products of our environment. So after what you just said about social support environment and everything, uh, the question now is do the people and conditions we surround ourselves in affect our behavior? Uh, and are the norms we exist in the norms that we eventually adopt? Absolutely. I think that even though the um, the whole setup in season one was meant to trick the four humans into torturing each other, the experiment backfired because they were surrounded by models of good behavior. And they wanted to be normal, like everybody else be good. Well, they had to try to act like it, so they didn't go to the bad place. But I mean, I guess that's a, you know, extreme example of, you know, we want to adjust to the normal. Yeah, yeah. And I think that although... Um, Eleanor and possibly Jason's motivation initially had to do with um, going to the good place. I can't risk going to the bad place. Okay, well, maybe it's not all that bad. We'll ask Janet. Hey, Janet. Hi there. How can I help you? What is the bad place like? I can only play you a brief audio clip of what is happening there right now. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound awesome in them establishing the connections that they did with their friends, they were able to learn these new behaviors and start caring um, about others. Well, speaking of caring in others and evolving, um, Michael and the humans aren't the only ones evolving in the show. Janet seems to evolve too. She's gaining kind of love for Jason, things like that. And she's not a robot. I don't know exactly what she is, but <laughs> she's amazing and she's she's adapting and she's changing can you please talk about what might be going on with janet janet's really interesting because she is as you mentioned she's not a robot she is a, kind of an intelligence figure and but she's not a human either with each reboot however janet becomes more and more human in her learning to emulate human behavior and learning to understand human behavior so that she can um, perform her role as the good Janet, um, she learns to care. She learns to have feelings for the humans around her. She not only falls in love with Jason, but she genuinely cares for others. She demonstrates loyalty and thinking outside of her programming when she actually um, attacks another demon and uh, kicks his butt. <laughs> um, and so I think that what we're seeing is somebody that is learning once again well beyond their initial programming somebody who is able to evolve way beyond of what they were meant to because of love because of connection because of their loved ones and i think that that's really the biggest power of the show is that it it once again demonstrates to us that the most magical thing in the universe is love love <laughs> love. exactly and i think that when you have love you are the richest person in the world and when you have love you're in the good place oh that's amazingly beautiful i'm smiling <laughs> 
from this point, what do you think the future seasons are? I mean, what's next? <laughs> you know, the show writers and the showrunners have been incredible at keeping us guessing. Just when I think the show is going to go in, in one direction, it goes in another. And it works. It, it's been amazing to me that even though the show breaks all boundaries and all expectations, it really works. And so I really don't know what to expect, but what I'm hoping is to see more of this, to see more of hope and redemption themes in this show, because I think in the darkest times when it feels like we're living in the bad place, it's really nice to know that there is something like this something that makes us feel like we're in the good place, something that's full of love and hope and compassion. With you, I always feel like I'm in the good place. Oh, I got to be honest. If I mean, we're huge, huge fans of this show. As you can tell, we love it. it it's brilliant. It's something new. It's refreshing to see this kind of real commentary on people and their emotions and redemption, like you said. And it's and, diverse. It oh. is so incredibly diverse i love that um in the background we have some lgbt characters right from the start like you know in in the good place or the fake good place um the characters are ethnically diverse and a good friend of mine brought up a really good point that the characters are not gender specific meaning that any of them could have their gender swapped and the story would still work michael sure if you happen to be one of our listeners or any of the writers or actors or anything and you want to be on our show we'd love it because we love the show so much and we plan on revisiting it later on because i'm sure the season three is gonna take us to something crazy absolutely i can't wait to see what the next few episodes and what the next seasons bring with that we're gonna go ahead and end this episode of superhero therapy with dr janina scarlett again my name is dustin mcginnis you can find me on twitter at the valiant geek and i am dr janina scarlett of superhero therapy you can find me on my website superhero-therapy.com or just about on all social media if you look for superhero therapy take care everybody <laughs> <laughs>